Not sure, but I think I've seen some lighters in the back. Hey, listen, man, y'all going to lunch, people saying, man, we sang the rugged cross at church. What'd you sing say? We sang in the air tonight by Phil Collins. And now we're about to tie it into the gospel. So here's the thing again, man, for us, again, songs are, they're more than noise. They're more than background music. For a lot of us, as we start a brand new series today entitled Soundtrack, a lot of times, man, songs are a soundtrack for the soul. It expresses what we're going through, man. We'll, we'll lock into a song that has meaning to us and carries us through a dark time or an exciting time or a workout time. Songs have, again, just such meaning to us individually and culturally. And so as we jump into today, I just have to wonder, you know, what was, if they had a playlist, if they had a soundtrack the night that Jesus died? Imagine if the Apostle Peter is listening to a headset, a Walkman. He's got his MP3 player. He's got his smartphone. If he had a song playing that night, if the disciples had a soundtrack for the sorrow they felt, I wonder what it was. See, the song in the air tonight, it's got this line in it. I've been waiting for this moment. Come on. All my life. See, that was the declaration of every Jewish person born. See, they grew up with a history of 2,000 years of prophecy. There was all these prophecies that are recorded in what we call today the Old Testament, 400 almost to be exact, about this Messiah coming, about this person who would be a redeemer, a rescuer, that this person would show up and fix what's broken. And so every new generation, a Jewish boy or girl would say, I've been waiting for this moment all my life. Is this the time? Is, is now the time that we'll see the Messiah? Is now the time we'll see this redeemer? The generation of Jesus comes and these these guys start hanging out with and, and this guy Jesus he starts fulfilling some of the prophecies he was born through the lineage of the line of David he was born in Bethlehem as a young child he was carried to Egypt prophecy after prophecy after prophecy about some of the background of the Messiah and they thought maybe this is him and as they got invited to follow him and became his disciples they started watching him and he, he wasn't just fulfilling prophecy but he taught with such authority and he did things that no normal man could do. He would stand on the bow of a boat and he would speak to a storm and shh, silence would fall. He would stand in a multitude and people would bring the sick and the broken and the lame and Jesus would heal everyone. He didn't just have authority. He didn't, just, didn't fulfill prophecy. In fact, there were times that he actually claimed to be God. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't just a good teacher. He was God in the flesh. And there was times he would look at people and say, your sins are forgiven. And we understand that only God had the power to forgive sin. And so imagine the excitements of the disciples. Imagine that they had been waiting for this moment all their life, and they thought, this is him. The Messiah is here. The rescuer is here. Imagine, man, and they just weren't followers. They were friends. They had an inside look. They had a backstage pass to the life of Jesus. This is him. And then just like the song, it was all a pack of lies. Because one day, Jesus died. He was arrested, falsely accused. He was mocked, beaten, put on a criminal's cross, and laid in a borrowed tomb. And the passion and the excitement and the hope that the disciples carried was gone. Can you imagine? Like, this is it. Like, all of their dreams, all their aspirations, all their excitement in one moment was gone. And you don't have to wonder because some of you have been in times like that or maybe are here and you're in a dark season of the soul where what you were hoping for fell apart. 
what you thought would happen didn't happen or your worst nightmare has come to pass see some of us in this room man we know what it is to go through divorce our spouse comes up we find out they're stepping out on us or just things aren't working out and we find out we're getting a divorce and that relationship's over we break up with the person that we thought was our significant other we man just go through a time we don't feel well we go to the doctor everybody's like hey just get it checked be safe rather than be sorry and you find out you have cancer or the career path that you thought was right, man. You thought it was all going to work out. You didn't get the raise, the promotion. You got laid off. You got fired. See, we all go through these times where the rug gets pulled out, where our hopes get dashed. What do we do in the dark time? What I want to talk about for a few minutes is I want to tell you about a moment that was definitive in the life of the disciples and should be definitive in every hopeless season we go through. It is the thing that brings us hope, and it is the power of the resurrection of the Son of God who died for us and three days later rose from the dead, and it is our moment that makes everything make sense. Jesus is alive forever. In fact, for a few minutes, I want to take a look into the story of this guy, John. He was one of the followers of Jesus. He records the biography of the life of Jesus in the gospel of John. And he picks up three days after Jesus was crucified. Jesus was on the cross part of Friday, or in the tomb part of Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Three days, Sunday morning. Here's where the story picks up. John chapter 20, if you have your Bible, if not, on the Sky Bible. It says this, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Where Jesus was, where there was a two-ton rock, it was missing from the opening and pushed aside. And then it says this, She ran and she found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And she said, They've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. And Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. I love this story again. So it's, it's early Sunday morning. Not just Mary, but some of the other gospel writers tell us that a few ladies are going to the tomb of Jesus where he's been buried for three days. They get there, and the body's missing. She panics, and she runs back to the disciples. They're like, man, the body's gone. We don't know where they laid him. And I love the response of the disciples because they just don't take Mary's word for it. they got to find out for themselves. See, we live in a generation of people that are just taking someone else's word for it. Some in this room, you say you believe that Jesus lived and died, but you're only repeating what somebody else told you. It's not your story. You're repeating someone else's story. And there's maybe some of you in this room that you're not sure about this whole thing. And because of people talking on their podcasts and talking heads on television, you just reiterate there was no Jesus. And if Jesus was here, he was just a normal teacher and he never rose from the dead. My challenge this morning is that you decide to get your own story, to check it out for yourself. That you can say, I know he, I know he died and I know he lives. Because once you become convinced that Jesus lived for you and died for you, your life will be changed forever. Get your own story and don't live somebody else's. And so, man, they, they take off. I love it, man. They take off running. Watch the story. It says they were both running. So they take off. It says the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and he looked in and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter arrived and he went inside and he also noticed the linen wrappings lying there. And while the cloth that had been covered, covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings... Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. He saw and he believed. Like, I love this story, right? When they hear about the potential of Jesus being gone, they take off running. Now, I'm not much of a runner. I'm sure you can't imagine that. Like, I only run for things like if I'm passionate, I'm going to run. If I'm running towards donuts or away from a large animal, 
I'm going to run. Come on, somebody. I love the disciples because they're willing to run at just the potential of a possibility. I'm telling you, listen, if you're here and you believe who Jesus is and what he's done, you ought to have some passion in your life. You ought to have some excitement in worship because it's not about something that maybe happened. We stand here and we declare and we shout and we sing about the goodness of God and what he did for us. You ought to have some passion. You ought to run for God in your life because of what he's done for you. And so, man, the disciples take off. And here's what's cool if you miss these two details of the story. Because this is John's story, so in the middle of everything about Jesus, he's got to drop some details about himself. And if you didn't pick it up, he records these two things, like Jesus, he's alive, but by the way, and he says these two things, that I'm the fastest, like, right, he got there first, I'm the fastest of the crew, and Jesus loves me more than anybody else. Which, if that's true, you're telling all your friends, right, that's why I would get a tattoo, I'm the fastest, Jesus loves me the most, that would be it. And so he's dropping these details, but it's all about the tomb. And I got to show you this, and, and, I, and I hope you'll stay engaged for a minute. I'm going to take you to school for a little bit, and I'm going to teach you some things that will help you sound really smart today around the hand, okay? You can forget it after today, but today we're going to go to class. Because the words that are used here in this story are very significant. The English language, while it's our language, it's limited in a lot of the words that we use. Where the Greek language, which is what the original New Testament was written in, is far more expressive and expansive. So when we read that John got to the tomb and he looked at the tomb, he saw the tomb, then Peter shows up, he goes in. Everybody shout, goes in. He goes in. I'm just going to tell you here, if you want to experience God, you got to go into his presence. If, you want to, if worship wants to make sense, listen, you got to go into his presence in worship. you got to go into his presence in prayer. you got to get into the word for yourself. Peter, he goes into the tomb, and he saw the linens. Everybody say saw. So John got there. He saw the tomb. Peter goes in the tomb. He sees the linens. And John comes in behind him, and he saw and believed. So in our English language, all we see is the word saw. In the Greek language, it's three different words. I'm going to teach them to you. And I'm going to try to, help, try to help you make sense of this, why it was such a powerful, distinctive moment in their life. The three words, the first word, when, when John got there first and he looked at the tomb, it's the word blepo. Everybody say blepo. blepo. You need to drop that on somebody today. I blepo that ham. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and, and then the second word, when, when Peter comes to the tomb and he goes in and he sees the wrappings, is this word theoreo. Everybody say that, theoreo. Come on, y'all got to help me out. I'm doing all the work. All you got to do is sit there. Come on, help a brother. Theoreo. There we go. Y'all sounding smarter by the minute. I can feel the IQ raising in the room. <laughs> then John comes in behind Peter, and he looks at the wrappings. The Bible says he saw and believed. It's the word eidos. Come on, eidos. See, y'all get on board. Blepo, theoreo, and eidos. Here's why the Bible uses, the record is these three different words. is because they each mean something totally different. And let me try to help you understand what they mean. A number of years ago, malls started popping up with these kiosks, and they were selling these things. Maybe you've seen them back in the day. The name, the technical name is a stereogram. It's like an optical illusion where you look at this design, and when you look at it the right way, this image comes out. Anybody see these before? Here's, here's a picture of one. My wife got me a picture of the resurrection. And basically what they tell you is you look at this, you look at this image, and you get it close to your face. This is, they tell you this, till your eyes kind of go cross-eyed. And then you pull it away and you try to keep your eyes crossed and like this image pops out, a 3D image. Has anybody seen these before? And this image pops out. And I remember, so my wife brings me on, she's like, I got you this. And I remember, this is true, I took it home, I sat it in our bedroom and I looked at it. And I couldn't see anything. 
So when you see the picture, you blepo it. Like there's the picture. When you sit down and you try to take it all in and you read the instructions, that's theoreo. When the image comes out, that's eidos. When it clicks and you see it, that's eidos. Let me give you another one. Just using one word, I'd say it this way. Uh, men, we use grunts, don't we? So I'm going to teach you what this means through grunts. All my men, help me. When John got to the tomb, he looked at it and he went, hmm, come on, everybody, hmm. Then Peter looked in. He went into the tomb. He looked and he's like, hmm. Come on, y'all got to help me out, hmm. Then John came in, Idos. It all made sense. He gathered it all and it clicked in his heart, hmm. Like I'm, I, I see it. Let me give you one more. All the, all the math lovers in the house, any math geeks in the house make some noise? If you hated math, you can make some noise too. You wonder what's happening to our country. There's it, there it is. It's not Trump's fault, it's yours. You go to math class, the teacher goes to the board and she begins to write an equation. When you look at the equation, you have no idea what you're looking at, but you visually see it, that's blepo. And as the teacher takes you through step by step trying to understand how to balance or solve the equation as you're trying to understand, as you're taking it all in, as you look at it, that's theoreo. When you see it, come on, some of you remember that moment, you're like, I see how she got the answer. You know how you got there, that's eidos, I see it. What happened in that tomb was they walked in, and it's not that they saw an empty tomb. They knew Jesus was alive. It's not what their eyes showed them. It's what their heart believed that what he had been saying, that I'm going to die. I'm going to lay down my life. But three days later, I'm coming back. They knew in that moment. They believed that Jesus was alive. My prayer is what my hope is that every person in this room experiences what they did in that tomb 2,000 years ago, that you will get resurrection perception. Resurrection perception, which means, here's what it says in John chapter 20, verse 9, after John and Peter were in the tomb. For until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. See, for years, the Jewish people thought when the Messiah came that they would, he would somehow fix government. In that moment, they realized Jesus didn't come to fix government. He came to fix the hearts of humanity. They realized in that moment, for years they thought that when Jesus came, when the Messiah came, that he would come and rescue the Jewish people from Roman occupation. Jesus didn't come to rescue them from Roman captivity. He came to rescue us from the captivity of sin. All of a sudden, it clicked. Jesus is alive. He was here, and he's alive, and it was for me, and he changed our our hearts and he changed our lives they had a resurrection perception that changed the way they viewed everything what would happen if you and i started to live life with a resurrection perception see what it becomes is a lens the way we see life through it becomes a viewpoint that we see every situation we go through see for them it didn't make sense the Messiah is dead, but all of a sudden on the backside when they seen that he was alive, all of a sudden life made sense. See, sometimes you're going to go through something in your life and it's going to look like God's not there. It's going to look like God's taking you through something and he's abandoned you and he's let you go. But when you have resurrection perception, you see something and here's what you ought to see. You ought to see this. You ought to see how God loves you and how his power is working towards you. 
Come on, somebody. See, I know, I don't know that God loves me because of the cross. I know he loves me because of the resurrection. Because had Jesus not got out of the tomb, it could have just been another man dying at the hands of a criminal Roman Empire, crucifying people by the thousands. But the fact that one person died on a cross, was put in a tomb, and three days later rose from the dead, it's a declaration to me that God does love me enough, that he sent his son for me, that he died for me, that he rose from the grave for me, which means no matter what I go through, God loves me. I'm never alone. All of a sudden, the empire becomes possible. Come on, I wish somebody would help me today. Because of the resurrection, there's no sin too big. There's no mountain no big. There's no issue too big. I'm telling you, no matter what you go through, you got to know that God loves you. He is for you and on your side when you have resurrection perception. And his power is working in you. The apostle Paul writes in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, one of the things he prays is, man, I wish you would figure out. I wish you would see. This is what he prays. You would know that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is working in you. See, when you have a dead Savior, there's no power. But when the guy who was dead in the tomb three days gets out and walks away, and that same power is in you, all of a sudden you can live life with a different lens because you have that same power working you. Everybody shout resurrection perception. We got to live life looking through the lens of the resurrection. It's not an event 2,000 years ago, it's a lifestyle today. And you see, the disciples, they walked out of that tomb in just several short weeks. They started going around and they started announcing what they seen. See, there's a misunderstanding that what the disciples preached in the early day, it wasn't a new theology, it wasn't a new doctrine, it wasn't new commandments. When you read in the book of Acts, there was one message that was being preached and communicated by those early disciples. It wasn't a teaching, it was an event. Everywhere they went, they made this declaration. Jesus, whom you crucified, was in a tomb. And three days later, he rose from the dead. They preached the event of the resurrection. See, what I believe as a Christian is not just a group of teachings. It's not just this idea of doctrine that applies to my life. What I believe as a Christ follower is an event in history that happened 2,000 years ago that now defines who I am. And it is the event of the resurrection of the Son of God, of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who died on a cross and who rose again. And all of a sudden, that resurrection they started preaching became a resurrection conception. A resurrection conception. You say, what's that? The first time they stood up and announced it in Acts chapter 2. A million, about a million people gathered in the city of Jerusalem for a Jewish feast called Pentecost. And as they preached the resurrection, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, about 2,000 people put their trust in that miracle and their lives were changed. About 3,000. The next day, about 2,000. People started experiencing a resurrection conception where what happened to Jesus started happening in their hearts. And here's what I want to tell you, because Jesus, he has this conversation with a man by the name of Nicodemus, and he's talking to this guy about the resurrection conception, and here's what it is. John chapter 3, verse 3, here's what Jesus says. Jesus replied, and he tells this man, I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, there it is, you cannot see the kingdom of God. He says you got to be born again. you got to have a resurrection conception. And I want you to put this word here, because we already went to class, remember? The word that's used here, see? He doesn't say you, have, you, can't, you can't blepo the kingdom of God. He's not saying you can't physically lay eyes on it. Born again, you can't just sit there and take it all in, show up for Bible studies, read the scriptures, and theoreo. He's saying if you want to really understand that there is a king 
and he has an order and you submit your life to that king for that to make sense you gotta idos it you gotta lock in and say i believe jesus died for me and because he died for me i'm gonna live for him see turning the other cheek don't make sense until you understand that the power of the resurrection is in your life listen praying and being a giver and investing your life in following christ that doesn't make any kind of sense unless you lock in on that moment and it clicks i believe Jesus died for me and rose for me then you experience what it is to be born again which means you can't save yourself you can't be good enough you can't be religious enough you can't give enough you can't serve in church enough you can't do anything anyway in your own power to save you it is only by the power of Jesus that changes the heart from the inside out that we are born again and made children of God and everybody should experience resurrection conception now, again, this idea of born again is foreign to our culture, almost as foreign as it was 2,000 years ago to the man Jesus was talking to. Notice his response. He says, hey, what do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Is a really creepy mental picture. Don't get the picture in your head, because once you see it, you can't unsee it. In his mind, he's like, how can I get up in my mother's womb and come back out a second time? And Jesus clearly tells Nicodemus what a resurrection conception is, what it is to be born again. Notice what Jesus says. John chapter 3, verse 6. Humans can only reproduce human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life which means you can't save yourself, change yourself, or make yourself a child of God. But through the power of the resurrection, when you make a decision as an individual to put your trust and faith and hope in who Jesus is and what he did for you in that moment through your faith and through the power of God, your heart is changed, your sin is forgiven, and you are immediately forever made a child of God. That's a resurrection conception when you're alive from the inside. And you might be here and say, Pastor Steve, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the mistakes I've made, and it's too big. And I just want to tell you something, man. I, I go walking in my neighborhood all the time. I know where mile markers are, and so I walk almost every morning or try to walk every day. And every time I do, I have some experience. And so there are dogs that wander. I don't know if this is an Alabama thing. In Ohio, we have things called chains and fences. <laughs> Y'all should look that up. In my community, in my subdivision, for real, dogs run free. And so um, this one dog, this is true, about two weeks ago, I'm out walking this morning, and this one dog starts following me, barking at me. And he followed me for about a half a mile. Woo, woo, woo. And so I just ignored him and kept walking. The next day he did it again. The next day he did it again. So I just had enough. I decided to fight back. I was tired of being bullied. Hashtag don't bully me. <laughs> and so I stopped in the middle of my walk. It's a true story. Dog's behind me. Woo. And I turned around and went, woo. And he backed up, and then he came at me, so every couple steps, I'd woo. And then, like, the next day, I started running at him. So I'd be walking, he'd bark, I'd be like, woo, woo, which I probably look like a crazy man to anybody looking out the window, but I had had enough, so. So this happened for about three, four days. This is absolutely a true story. I promise you, this is not a preacher's story. This actually happened. After doing this to this dog and trying to intimidate this dog for about three or four days, the next morning, I'm out walking, I peek this hill, I'm coming down the hill, and this dog is coming straight at me up the middle of the road. And I thought, it's cool, it's on, because this dog's scared of me. So I look at the dog, and I go, whoo! I swear to you, he looked over his right shoulder, went, whoo, whoo! And four other dogs came out of the weeds. I promise you. 
and started rushing me. It's five on one, canines against a man. I thought, I'm going to die. I didn't brush my teeth yet this morning. I didn't comb my hair. I'm going to bleed out on the boulevard. I didn't see it. I was hoping to be a martyr for Jesus. Didn't see me dying this way. And so this, I'm telling you, these dolls come rushing at me, barking. I, it, was, it was a gang, right? For real, I thought I was in trouble. And these dolls, woo, woo, woo. And they came. And as soon as they got to me, they kept barking, but they never touched me. All they did was try to intimidate me. So I just kept walking. I'm going to be honest, I was kind of nervous. I kept walking. Here's what I want to tell you, man. The devil can bark at you, and he can intimidate you, and he can try to scare you, but he has no power over you because Jesus is alive. You have victory over every lie, over every weapon of the enemy. We are overcomers because Christ is an overcomer. Let him lie to you. Let him trick you, but he can never touch you because you belong to Christ because of the power of the resurrection. I want you to know something. We are not just here to sing about this mythological thing that possibly happened 2,000 years ago. We are here celebrating a historical event that established a momentum shift in the hearts of humanity that people who are broken, who are struggling, who are sinful can be changed and forgiven and made children of God once and forever through what Christ has done. A resurrection perception that changes how you see the world. A resurrection conception where you're born again and you become God's kid. If I can give you one more thing, because if you're a church person, if you're a Jesus follower, I think one of the greatest things that can happen to you once you've experienced a resurrection conception is for you to live with resurrection direction. Which means now you live your life out of that moment. See, what defines who I am and how I live and how I spend my money and how I treat people and how I raise my kids and how I run my marriage isn't based on how much money I have in the bank, the level of my education, my socioeconomic place. It's not based on my race, sex, color, or creed. It is based on the moment of the resurrection. I live my life. I love people. I choose to be who I am with a resurrection direction. You ought to walk out of this place because Jesus lived for you and because he died for you and because he rose again. I'm going to live my life that way. I'm going to live with resurrection direction where I go what I do how I talk how I treat people I don't go to church to be religious I go to church to honor the one see he died for me so I could live for him and that's what I do because of a resurrection direction are y'all with me today see it's not just the resurrection is not just an event you show up to casually glance at once a year blepo not a thing we come to once a week to study, learn about, and listen to a preacher talk. Theoreo. Y'all ought to see Jesus. Idos. It ought to click in you. It ought to make sense to you. It ought to be the paradigm you live through. The resurrection was a declaration of God's love for you and for me. Some of y'all know, most of you know this, because I talk about it on the regular, because I don't want y'all to forget it. I'm from Ohio. I am a Buckeye fan. Go Buckeyes. It's okay. I'm comfortable with that response. I'm not a follower. I'm a leader. <laughs> but there's a difference. Here's the biggest difference in the North and the South that I've come to figure out. In the South, Roll Tide, I'll give you one. Roll Tide. I mean, how can you, how can you, Coach Saban, incredible coach, one of the world-class coaches of all time. Alabama, a winning program, no doubt about it. But here's the difference between the North and the South. You ready? Is in the North, a Northerner sits down, watches TV, watches the Buckeyes beat Michigan or whoever they're playing. And when the game's over, we say this, Ohio State won. Our team won. They won. 
in Alabama, people say this, we won. You didn't win anything. You watched somebody win. You wore a jersey, but you don't have, you don't play for Coach Saban. You didn't make the team. You weren't even there. They won. You watched. Now, I know I can't change the culture, but let me just help you with it. There is one victory that you didn't win, but it's yours. When Jesus died on the cross and he came back, he did it for you. See, the resurrection, it's my win. It's for me. It goes in my win column. It changed my life. He did it, but I benefit from it. He suffered it, but I'm an overcomer through it. See, I'm telling you, we won because he won if you choose to trust in him. It is a resurrection that changes everything. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, as we close this time, Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you did by sending your son on a rescue mission for all of us, every person watching online, every person in the overflow, every person right here in this room. That Jesus, we were lost. We're all sinners. We all mess up. We all fall short. We all make mistakes. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves, to fix ourselves. There's nothing we can do to, to manage what's broken in us. But Jesus, you came to die for us. And on three days later, you rose from the dead. And when we put our hope in that moment, when we put our trust in your love, we can experience a resurrection conception. We can be born again. If you're here today and you've never personally put your trust in Jesus, you've never asked him, God, forgive me, save me, make me your kid. I'm telling you, just by a simple act of faith in his grace, in that moment, you can be changed forever. So all over this room, if you come to church all the time, but you've never done that for yourself, I want to invite you this morning. That's why we're here, and that's why Jesus came, to save you, to make you born again, to make you his child. If you're in church all the time, you've never personally taken a step, I want to invite you in a moment to pray a prayer with me. If you're here maybe for the first time, you've not been in church since last Easter, that's okay, I'm glad you're here. But I want to invite you to say yes to God's love and grace to your life. So all over this room, no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been in church or this is your first time, all over this room with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you say, Pastor Steve, today I want to give my life to Christ. I believe he died for me. I believe that my life can be changed. And I want his grace and forgiveness in my life. If that's you, listen, no shame in your game. I'm telling you, listen, be the first one to grab some air. If you say, Pastor Steve, I want included in this prayer. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to experience his grace. Then all over this room, in the overflow in our home, if that's you, I want you to lift a hand real high. Say, pray for me, Pastor Steve. Come on, lift a hand. Say, I want to give my life to Christ. If that's you, throw a hand in the air and say, today I want to be saved. Today I want to find Christ. Today I want to walk out of here, his, his kid. Come on, if that's you, lift a hand real high. Come on. Come on. You can't save yourself, fix yourself, deliver yourself. But God will do it in a moment if you'll just say, God, here I am. Come on, throw a hand up. Leave it up real high, please. Just leave it up for one second so I can see you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? In the overflow, I see hands at home, hands. I'm going to pray this prayer in your own way. I just want you to know the Father will hear your heart. And he'll meet you right where you are. So you can pray your own or you can follow me. Jesus, I thank you that you came and you died for me. And you carried my sin. And on the third day, you rose 
from the dead. And because you live, I can have eternal life. I thank you for saving me right now, making me a child. And I believe when I walk out of this place, I'm different. And I belong to you. And I commit to walk with the resurrection direction. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed, said amen. Come on, can we lose our mind today for a whole group of people? Come on, let's give God the highest praise.